So if you want to get, take your Bibles out a while and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I would encourage you to consider Tiffany's offer to come and take a tour uh, Water Street. That's just a wonderfully eye-opening experience. And you know, not making any commitment to do X, Y, Z, just go and take a tour and find out uh, what they're up to. Uh, you can find a lot on their website and uh, find that very easily by Googling it. All right, so last week we finished up our mini-series on mission. We start a new uh, mini-series today. It's entitled Christian Marriage or Two Christians Married. Now, what I mean by that is it's possible for you and I to be married to another believer and not have a Christian marriage. It's possible for us to be married to another Christian and we're Christians and not actually have a Christian marriage. It might just be that we're two Christian people uh, living together. And so over these next four weeks, I want to talk about uh, some of what distinguishes a, um, a Christian marriage. And um, we're going to talk to the men for two Sundays, and then we'll talk to the women so you can schedule accordingly. Uh, it would be good if we would do a little bit of an intro with uh, what Keystone has as part of its secondary positions. So a number of years ago, we realized there's a lot of things that we believe as a local church and teach that um, aren't found in our doctrinal statement. Our statement of faith has 10 points in it. It ta talks about what we believe about the Bible, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about uh, God, about the, the church, and when Jesus is coming again, and so forth. But it doesn't address things like homosexuality. It doesn't address things like abortion. It doesn't address things like when to baptize and how to baptize. It doesn't address what do, what do we do with politics in the church. Where's the, what will we wrestle with and what we're like, no, that's not for here. And so we have a, a statement of 12 secondary positions, and one of them speaks about how we understand the Bible to teach about men and women, specifically in the issues of leadership in the church and the home. And so we have this statement. We teach that males are to lovingly lead, shepherd, lead and shepherd both their homes and their churches. Only men may serve as elders since elders are given the biblical responsibility to maintain church doctrine and church discipline. That's 1 Timothy 2.12. Because only men are to teach men, classes for those senior high and older uh, in which the scriptures are taught are taught by men or married couples as an example given in Acts 18 with Aquila and Priscilla. Women may teach male students through junior high. It's not a perfect application of the scriptures. We just think that by senior high, boys are becoming men. It's time to move to either couples, married couples teaching or men. Because many church roles commonly labeled uh, leadership do not actually carry authority over doctrine or discipline, many positions of ministry team leadership in the church are open to qualified women. Now, let me pause before I read the final statement. One of the things, and we've taught this for 28 years here at Keystone, and one of the things that I've discovered is that people who, uh, and obviously this is not a popular position today, is that people in the church who don't like this, don't approve of this, uh, believe that it, it lays the groundwork and opens, uh, uh, maybe lays the welcome mat out for abuse. 
Uh, shortly after, maybe a year after we started the church, someone that I knew stopped in to see me at my office and gave me a book that basically made that argument, that if you teach what I think the Bible teaches, in the home that's going to say, okay, men go ahead and abuse their wives. And so we have this follow-up statement, husbands who abuse their wives or are harsh with them, sin. Full stop. No qualification, full stop. <clears throat> we do believe that God calls wives to voluntarily submit to their husbands, Ephesians 5, uh, but the husband has no right to demand it or mistreat his wife in any way. This morning we're going to talk to husbands, and next Sunday we're going to talk to husbands. And the title this week is Husbands, Only Christ's Humility Can Slay Our Inner Tyrant. Only Christ's humility can slay our inner tyrant. You know what we talk about in psychological circles? We have an inner child, right? There's always some child in there kind of lingering. Well, that's true when it comes to men as well, for most of us, that there is this potential inner tyrant. Here's how one woman describes her husband. My husband and I have been married for nearly 30 years. He's grown convinced that there is something wrong with me. I'm a Christian and have been since I was 10. He's also convinced that God sees me as subservient to him and in every way. Tonight I asked him if he believes women are subservient to men in creation. In other words, this is part of the created order. And he answered without a hesitation, yes. He has always treated me like he is superior to me in every way. The way he treats me is very hurtful and I don't think I can continue to go on with his angry, aggressive spirit. When he gets angry with me about anything, he locks me out of the bedroom and out of our house. I literally want to run away. I despise this life. Now just for the record, that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not the portrayal that the scripture gives of a godly husband shepherding his home. This man is not superior to his wife. The Bible never teaches that man is superior to women. Paul's very adamant about that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. We stand before the cross, equal on level ground. We're, we're equal heirs of uh, the gift of life, Paul says in the passage we're going to look at this morning. Uh, he, he's simply a mean, miserable, ungodly man who needs to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. I always said in the church that I pastored in Michigan, and if that doesn't work, we always have Frank. Now, in our church, Frank was about 330 pounds. He was six foot six. And I told the women at our church, if you ever come to me and tell me your husband is beating you up or abusing you in some way, Frank and I are going to pay him a visit. They weren't scared of me. When we talk about tyranny in the home, we're talking about a spectrum. So on this end of the spectrum is abuse, spousal abuse. Uh, on this end of the spectrum might be where some of us land. We're like, uh, no, I'm not a tyrant. You go across that spectrum, you know, husband says, I'm in charge here. Or he says, see, I told you so. There may be very mild expressions of it, but it's this idea that I'm somehow better than you are, dear. And we're going to look at a couple of statements that might uh, give examples a little bit further. 
But I want us to contemplate, if you're a man, and I'm speaking specifically to Christian men this morning, if you're a husband and you're not a believer, what I'm about to say might be useful, but it's not, a, it's like, it's not an aspect of obedience to Christ because you haven't bowed the knee yet to Christ. So this is for you if you say, I am a servant of the living God through faith in Christ, and I want to be whom God has called me to be. I want to be, and, and if you know Christ, brothers, wouldn't you agree? That should be our response. If we know Christ, we want to be the husbands that God has made us to be. We maybe just don't know what it's like, what that looks like. Again, my title, Only Christ's Humility Can Slay Our Inner Tyrant. At the root of tyranny, fundamental problem is really the, the same fundamental problem with all sin, and that's pride. And so let's ask God for his help. We sure need it, and then we'll dive in. Uh, Father, I confess this morning as a husband of many years that I have failed time and time again. As Betty and I have sat down at times and we've asked each other, okay, what did I do or say this week that I, in which I failed to bring you joy and have been able to be honest with each other? It's always interesting to see the things that I was oblivious to, let alone the things that I knew about. None of us get this right. We have a perfect example, but we are not perfect. We don't execute this well. That's not the real issue that we want to address this morning. The real issue that we want to address is the direction of our heart. The direction of our heart. Not the destination, but the direction of our heart. And so I pray for myself and for every other husband here who names the name of Christ. Father, that especially for these next few minutes, that you would um, put us in a, in a position of reception, um, that whatever um, walls of defense might be up, that you would dismantle them, that our homes would benefit in the weeks and months and years ahead, that our families would benefit, that we would benefit. And instead of uh, being afraid of kind of losing control or whatever else drives this tyranny, our great longing, our great desire, our great passion would to be to please you in every way as husbands. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How a blue ribbon husband treats his wife. So blue ribbon is the one who's won the prize. So... This is a husband who's done it well. How does he treat his wife? First Peter chapter 3. First six verses are to wives in this chapter. Uh, we'll get to you in a few weeks and we'll be looking at this passage. But verse 7 is for us husbands. And this is how a blue ribbon husband treats his wife. In the same way, you husbands must give Say that next word with me, husbands. Honor. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. If we just stopped there this morning and meditated on that sentence, husbands, 
and pondered the years that we've been married to our wives, would that describe us? You husbands must, not if you feel like it, not if it's convenient, not if she's been a great wife, you must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. She's weaker than you, men, and the ESV says a weaker vessel. And that means physically. Um, This is something that everybody knew until about 20 years ago that in general, there's always exceptions, but in general, males are stronger physically than women. And so I have 25% thicker skin than my wife does. Now, not emotionally. I'm more thin-skinned than she is. And my bones are more dense. They're stronger. My ligaments tend it's the same way than my wife. There's a lot of other ways in which my wife is stronger than me, and I think the wonderful beauty of marriage is that God takes two people together who have a combination of strengths and weaknesses, and if you've been married any length of time, you've probably seen that. It's like, my my mate really excels here, and I don't, and I'm stronger here, and, and she's weaker. Beautiful dance. And it's interesting, so husbands show honor to her. I mean, I just keep thinking about that. I mean, I don't think any of us are um, clueless about what that looks like. Well, maybe what it looks like, but what it means. It means that, doesn't it mean her before me? Elevation, exaltation. It was funny, I I corresponded with a a guy in Nova Scotia 20 years ago, 25 years. Well, it was, we had the internet, so maybe it's just 20 years. Not a believer. His wife had died from cancer after, I think, 25 years. And we had a very interesting correspondence. And and I saw on a website that he had started after his uh, wife passed away that his children, his adult children wrote, um, we put mom on a pedestal so dad would keep his hands off of her. It's, that's funny. But they also spoke about how dad put her on a pedestal. Honor. And, and live with her in an understanding way. And if, if, if your wives would get together over here and we have a little meeting after the service and I'd ask them he's not going to find out does he honor you I'm not talking about perfectly but in general does he honor you does he live with you in an understanding way what would they say and I bet you know and if you don't You should ask her. 
Some of the greatest insights in my marriage have come when I've asked my wife scary questions. I didn't really want to ask her. But I thought I knew the answer. Turned out I was wrong. You want to know where you stand with your wife? Ask her. And Peter gives these instructions with teeth. Did you notice that? The last sentence in that verse. You treat her well, husbands, or don't expect your prayers to be answered. Wow. You ever think about sometimes the things that, that we know are wrong, we have the wrong explanation for them. Now, I've talked to countless people over the years who say, I don't feel like any of my prayers ever get answered. <laughs> I'm reading this this week and I'm thinking, you know what, I never asked any of those men. How are you treating your wife? Nor have I asked their wives. And I'm thinking I should. Treat her as you should, meaning, by God's expectations, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. How a blue ribbon husband treats his wife. And we have one other passage to look at in this section. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. This gets to the heart of the sermon title. Colossians 3, 19. When I... Uh, when I officiated at, oh, where's Colossians? Somebody come help me find Colossians. It's in the Bible, in the Bible thanks. <laughs> I, I've written, uh, over the years, I wrote um, marriage vows that were all drawn from explicit verses about husbands or wives from the scripture. And this was one of them. And so, if guys were getting married under my watch, or at least if they chose my vows, they would always say this to their wives. I will not be harsh with you. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. It's in our DNA, guys. Let's just own this. It's in our DNA to treat our wives harshly. We might not abuse them. But even impatience, and in impatience, this comes out. Why is that? Well, it's because we are men. We are inclined to be problem solvers, and let's face it, sometimes our wives get in the way of our solutions. We're inclined to lead, and sometimes our wives aren't great followers. We're inclined to believe we're right, because we are. No, it's because we have way too much testosterone in our bodies. Men have about somewhere between 10 and 12 times more testosterone, the main sex hormone, in our bodies compared to women. Women have testosterone too, but not nearly as much. That's the reason for the difference in the sex drives. In most cases, there's always exceptions. But they've done studies and discovered that because of that flood of testosterone in our bodies, we are far more intuitive. Now, we usually think of women as being intuitive, more intuitive than men. But in this case, intuitive about what to do, where to go, not in relationships, like we're numbskulls when it comes to that. 
or we're intuitive about what to do, the decisions to make, and so forth. And because of that flood of testosterone, we are far less inclined to double-check and really delve into, examine whether or not that's the right way to go. So we think we're right, and our wives like, mm, yeah, I don't think so. They're like, yeah. Never treat them harshly. And here's a list of, uh, I said they're going to read a list of some statements about what husbands can do. It's kind of tyrannical. This is from a book by Lou Priolo called The Complete Husband, A Practical Guide to Biblical Husbanding. Husbanding. I don't think that's a word. One, granting her request begrudgingly and with complaint. Being discontent with her performance of her duties. Fussing about his wife's neglect of domestic responsibilities without sincerely offering assistance. I like that he put that adverb sincerely in there. Can I help you, honey? And then he's gone. Responding to her in a discourteous or condescending way. Guys, that's a biggie. Responding to her in a discourteous or condescending way. Having a critical, condemnatory, judgmental attitude. Being intolerant of your wife's non-sinful, idiosyncratic idiosyncratic behaviors it's just the way she is not doing anything wrong but she's different than you are she responds differently than you do prohibiting your wife from doing anything without your express consent or not knowledge by the way just for the record that's either an indicator usually of moving into an abusive relationship or an existing abusive relationship prohibiting your wife from doing anything without your express knowledge or consent. This would also be the case. Micromanaging every aspect of her responsibilities. Being unjustly suspicious of her rather than trusting her. You know, a man checks his wife's odometer every time she comes home from someplace. That's abusive. That's not a marriage relationship, certainly not one that's portrayed in Scripture. Being being harsh is almost instinctive for us as men. We have this inner tyrant, and that inner tyrant is self-centered, self-absorbed, self-righteous, mean, harsh, domineering, hurtful, more concerned about getting his way than giving his life for his family, which leads us to the most important passage on marriage in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians 5, this is the passage that I would always preach at weddings I officiated at. <clears throat> and we're talking to the men this morning, so we're going to start at 25, not 22. Oops, I got the wrong Bible here. Unfortunately, uh, Bible translators will do... Um, take their agenda into their translations... And so, unfortunately, that happened, in my opinion, in the New Living Translation, so I'll read it from the English Standard Version, ESV. Husbands, love your wives. And if, if Paul stopped right there, then each of us as husbands could define that the way we saw fit. I love you, 
I don't stop off at the bar on the way home from work ever. You should be grateful. I love you. I don't beat you. You should be grateful. But Paul goes on to define exactly what he means by us loving our wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church, which is his bride, his wife, to himself in splendor. Let me just stop there and say, guys, if you're unhappy with your wife, maybe it is because you have not done what you should to present her to yourself the way God wants you to. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And so, again, the standard for what God's looking for in a, in a Christian husband suddenly goes through the roof in that first sentence. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. We talk about this as, as people when it comes to whether we consider ourselves bad or good. And typically, we decide that based on somebody that we compare ourselves to who's worse than us. So I'm a good person. And and what we ought to be doing is look at somebody that we think is better than us and and remind ourselves that we're pond scum. That apart from Jesus, we are nothing and wicked and evil. And God's saying, don't just... Compare yourself to horrible husbands. Compare yourself to the best. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for her. Over the years when I've done premarital counseling, I, um, we talk with the husbands about what, how far they're willing to go for their wives. And, and I believe this is true. I, I believe this is true for almost every married man that we would take a bullet for our wives. That we'd be willing to die for our wives. And I always ask this question, but, but will you live for her? Because that's the hard part. A bullet's over like that. Will you live for her? Meaning, will you lay down your life for her like Jesus laid down his life for his bride? It's a, he's asking us to imitate Christ's humility. And humility is not thinking little of ourselves, it's thinking more of others. And that's what Jesus did perfectly. I love that line in Romans. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How many times, husband, have you either gone to your wife and said this or thought this? I will do what you want me to do when you become the woman I want you to be. 
Jesus didn't do that. He laid down his life before we ever got around to saying, okay, yes, I do want you to rule my life. I do want you. And this whole business, you know, let me just reiterate again. This whole idea that we as Christian men are somehow in charge. Let's get rid of that. We're not in charge. Jesus is, if we have a Christian marriage, Jesus is in charge. And you are not called and I am not called to make sure that Betty submits to me. It specifically says in Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husbands. It doesn't say husbands make sure your wife submits to you. 1 Peter 3, the same way. Husbands, we have a job and it's not that. Wives, you have a job and it's not to make sure your husband loves you as Christ loved the church. We each have our own responsibility. But this idea, and unfortunately, it is widespread in the church of Jesus Christ, that because a wife is supposed to submit to her husband, that, make, that means that two things. One, the husband's to make sure she does it, and two, he can act like an absolute jerk, and it's okay. And just for the record, it ain't. And ladies, if your husband ever abuses you, I want you to know that you will gain a hearing from the leaders of this church. That doesn't mean we're going to believe everything you say, but we will not shut you out or tell you you need to submit better or something like that. That you can come to us and we will help. We'll get you out of the house if necessary whatever we need to do, you'll get a hearing from us. Guys, let's just be honest and, and admit, for many of us, being a tyrant is a temptation. And oh my goodness, how desperately we need help with this. We don't need to make a New Year's resolution. You, we're not going to keep it. We don't need to write down in a journal, I will not be mean to my wife or harsh with my wife. We, we need to follow both the example of Jesus and we need to access the power of Jesus. I remember <clears throat> uh, going on 40 years ago, I was sitting in the auditorium at Langster Bible College, this was before I was a student, listening to Dr. Howard Hendricks from Dallas Seminary. <clears throat> it's going to be with the Lord now. And he said something. I, Dave, I think you were there for this. He said something I'll never forget. He said, the Christian life is not difficult. And again, you think, wait, what? <laughs> and then he finished with this. It's impossible. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. And gentlemen, for us to fight against what the, ins the instincts that we have, it's not difficult. It's impossible. And that's why we need Jesus. Say, so, well, I have Jesus. I'm a Christian. He's, I have him. Yeah, but it's, it's not automatic. The business of sanctification, which is the means by which we are being changed more and more into the image of Christ, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, 
<clears throat> is a joint effort. We got saved, it was a solo effort. Jesus saved us, totally on the merits of what he did. But sanctification, the life that we live from the moment we get saved until we go home to be with him, becoming more and more like Jesus, that's a, that's a progression and it's a joint effort between God and us. So what is our role? In addition to obedience, what is our role? Well, we need the power for obedience. I've been crucified, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Yeah, but there are moments when I do live. I, I, I take over and Jesus doesn't get to make me do what he wants me to do what I want to do and this is where prayer comes in this is where prayer comes in yet again <clears throat> the power of the Holy Spirit resides within us but good wishes aren't going to change us or improve us I don't think I hope there's no abusers in here I don't if there are I don't think there's many and I think that many of you husbands are doing a decent job but I don't know about you I sat down with my wife on our front porch after I got home from the hospital in May. And I said, honey, for as many years as God has, uh, will give us yet together, I want us to be growing in our marriage. I don't want either of us just settle. Just get by. I, I want to, so that our marriage is better next week than it is this week. And it's better next month than it is this month. And it's better next year than it is this year. Better for us, yes, and yet more glorifying to God, too. And I hope that's your desire as well. And no matter where you are, there can, be, there can be growth in this Christian marriage. You see, the, the Christian marriage is not just about how you feel about how you're relating to one another. That's the big mistake that I see in a lot of Christian books today on marriage. They just focus on whether or not you can be happy in your marriage. That's not enough, brothers and sisters. That's not a Christian marriage because Jesus Christ is in your marriage if, if, you're a Christ, if you want a Christian marriage. And pleasing Him matters even more than pleasing your wife or your husband. Now the good news is when we please Him, we typically do please our spouses. And our marriage does get better and there is more joy in it. But the moment when you as a husband, me as a husband, the moment when our wife says something that kind of deflates us or upsets us or irritates us, all that tends to matter at that moment is what I want. And that's the moment to say, I'm going to stop right here before I respond. And I'm going to pray and say, Jesus, what do you want? What do you want? You want a great marriage? It's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me, let me back up. You want a great Christian marriage? It's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing out from you. By the way, as a husband, it's not like you're in charge. It, I look at it this way. You have the greatest responsibility for your home, more so than your wife. And you, if I understand 1 Corinthians 11, the early verses, I think that means when we get home, we get examined about our homes it's great responsibility and you and I have great opportunity to portray to the watching world this glorious supernatural wedding and marriage between Christ and his church a, just a little bit in our own marriages and husbands the more we are on our knees 
the more that becomes the case. I want to encourage you, husbands, before we pray here, that if God spoke to you this morning about something in your marriage, maybe it's even something you did this week, that you would go to your wife, because I don't think we do this well generally as husbands, go to your wife and say, honey, there's something I need to ask your forgiveness for. You have no idea the doors that will open in your marriage. You have no idea the power that that gives the Lord Jesus to begin to work in transforming that from what it is to what he wants to see it be. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus and for us as husbands, the example that he provided, but even more for the power that he provides for us to be the men that you so long for us to be. We realize that we'll never get it completely right till we get home to glory. And yet, our desire is that you can look at us and count on us to give a decent and adequate portrayal to the world of just how glorious this love affair is between Christ and his church in our own marriages. In Jesus' name, amen.